Welcome to the Nutrition Reviews podcast series. Nutrition Reviews is published by Oxford University Press and is an international peer-reviewed journal that publishes authoritative and critical literature reviews on current and emerging topics in nutritional science, food science, clinical nutrition, and nutrition policy. Each month, we talk with authors who have contributed to Nutrition Reviews to find out who they are, why they wrote the review, and how they think their reviews should be used to advance nutritional sciences. I'm Douglas Terran, the Editor-in-Chief for Nutrition Reviews. This month, I have Ann Lehner and Dr. Nicole Bender from the University of Zurich who published a review and meta-analysis of randomized clinical trials on the impact of omega-3 fatty acid, DHA, and EPA supplementation in pregnant or breastfeeding women on cognitive performance of children. As many of us know, there is a great interest in how the prenatal diet can affect the health of children and even the aging processes. And the role that omega-3 fatty acids have, not just on cognitive development, but on mental health too. What I found interesting about this paper, without giving away the results, were the small sample sizes in these studies, which may have led to the final results. Anne and Nicole, thank you for joining me today on this podcast. And let's start off by having Anne tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in this study. Hello, Douglas. Thank you very much for the invitation. Nicole Bender and I are very pleased to be here. And sure, I like to introduce myself. My name is Anne Liener. I'm a biologist living in Switzerland. I did my degree at the University of Zurich. My interest in nutritional science was already awoken during secondary school. I was fascinated by life science and my favorite subject was chemistry and physiology of the human body. Besides my interest in natural science, I'm also a practical person. The field of nutrition contains not only my favorite topics, but it's also relevant to our everyday life. I experienced myself that with a more healthy diet, my overall well-being improved. During my studies in biology, I learned that in order to create meaningful insights, it is important not just to look at biochemistry, but also at human evolution. That is why I contacted Nicole Bender during my master's and ask her if she would be my supervisor for my thesis. With her long lasting experience in evolutionary medicine and clinical nutrition, she was the perfect match for me. That is how I spent most time of my master's degree at the Institute of Evolutionary Medicine. The paper we are talking about today was one of the projects of my master's thesis. I'm very proud that it got published in nutrition reviews. I know that for a master's thesis, this can for sure not be taken for granted. Well, thank you, Anne. And Nicole, why don't you give us a little bit about your background about evolutionary biology, because clearly how we eat and, and what we eat is has evolved over you know, centuries and millenniums. And so it must be an interesting area for you to look at too. Yes, actually, I studied medicine in the first place, but then I did a PhD in evolutionary biology following my medical studies, because actually I'm also interested in both fields from beginning on, like Anne too. And so um, nutrition is the 
is actually a field connecting both areas. It's very nice to study nutrition because it connects human evolution and medical outcomes today. And uh, because uh, our health today reflects our evolutionary history because what we are today, our anatomy, our physiology, even our behavior reflects our evolutionary history and especially our nutrition, which evolved during our evolution um, shows us uh, uh, through our um, health outcomes, what we are adapted for. And so, in, especially in the modern environment where we cannot expect to have our original nutrition, our evolved nutrition, we see also mismatches. We see uh, diseases of civilization, if you want, so diabetes, heart diseases, and so on. And this is why nutrition is very interesting to see these mismatches from between evolution and modern environment. And so we can study actually um, the gap between evolved physiology and modern environment, modern nutrition. And the, um, the field we are looking today at this um, nutritional aspect of uh, pregnant women, this is as even an aspect more because it takes in a brain uh, evolution and therefore cognitive evolution, which is very, very relevant in human evolution. This is a step further from just animal evolution. And so we can see um, further aspects there which are very, very human specific. And this is what, why this is a very interesting topic. And so we can see what factors affects the human brain evolution in a very early stage. So during pregnancy and during the, the breastfeeding period, uh, which nutrients are relevant there from a theoretical point of view and we can see also the, the studies who tried to, to, um, to show which nutrients are relevant for the later cognitive outcomes. And in a meta-analysis, you can uh, actually take together all these results and, and try to find out if the theory uh, relates to the, uh, to the true outcomes, then, if this matches or not. And that's really interesting, especially around the area of brain development, because obviously humans brain development is one of the big issues about how we have evolved. I'm wondering, Anne, um, can you tell us why you decided to focus on this area? Was it a match that you had with Dr. Bender or did you have a special interest in omega-3s or pregnancy or breastfeeding to help you decide that this was the uh, time and effort you're going to spend on doing this type of a review? Yes. I don't want to start too early on, but it was actually during my master's degree, I was enrolled at the Institute of Anthropology at the University of Zurich. And they did a lot of research about brain enlargement in the hominin lineage. And, but this was mainly from a behavioral point of view. And this was very fascinating to learn for me. But as I said, I was very interested in nutrition and that's why I was more curious about the link to, to nutrition. And many micronutrients like iron or iodine, and especially omega-3 fatty acids as well, are critical for brain development. And it's important to know that micronutrients are not considered to be the thrivers of brain evolution, 
or plain en enlargement in the hominid lineage, but they are seen as a precondition that needs to be met. That is because the need of critical micronutrients in the central nervous system is highly conserved and therefore brain enlargement could not have taken place if, if they had been too scarce in the diet for a too long time period. And in anthropology, it's an ongoing debate on how important a shore-based diet has been for human evolution. And to contribute to this discussion, we wanted to investigate nutrients that were only sparse in a uniquely continental diet during human evolution. And that's why iron uh, was not our main goal. And our decision fell on the semi-essential fatty acids at DHA and EPA because they have uh, interesting biochemistry and they are only abundantly found in an aquatic diet. There is only one exception to mention, and these are animal brains. But compared to the whole animal and vegetable sources, brains cannot have made a large quantity in a forager diet. And that's why an aquatic diet is the only one that's really abundant in those fatty acids. And since, as Nicole Bender already said, uh, it's expected that a suboptimal provision of essential nutrients will have the largest and most long-lasting effects during early brain development, we, narrow, we narrowed the study down to the offspring of pregnant and breastfeeding women. And so we are very close now to our paper and how it was born. <laughs> oh, that's really interesting. Um, the whole concept of the aquatic diet, you know, of eating fish or algae or um, is something that I never thought of before as, as being an essential piece of evolution. So I appreciate that insight. I'm, I'm wondering what findings surprised you? Could you summarize quickly the findings and was there anything surprising about them? Because I was surprised with some of your outcomes too. So I'd like to hear maybe from Dr. Bender, who's been looking at this for a long time, to give us a, a review of those findings and what was surprising to you? Well, we divided up our results in, in different cognitive outcomes because cognition, of course, is a large term. So what we looked at was that specific fields like attention or intelligence or memory and so on. So these are different subcategories of cognition in, in the children. And the results were also taken in different time spans after the, the intervention. So in very small children, these are specific tests you do in small babies or uh, after several months, after one year, after two years. So uh, these time gaps uh, has also to taken into consideration, of course. So our results were actually split up in several subcategories. And this influenced our results because it, me it meant also to split up our results in many categories, uh, lowering down also the sample sizes per category. And this influenced, of course, also the outcomes. In a meta-analysis, the more results you have that you can pull together, the, the, the better is the outcome. And this was a little bit a tricky part of this meta-analysis. So we did not have any statistically significant results coming out in, in these categories for any of these subcategories. This was a little bit disappointing, I must say. But on the other hand, it also confirmed um, outcomes for, from other reviews that looked at similar 
studies. And this shows in the same time, the difficulties of this kind of studies. It shows that uh, on the one hand, it is difficult to assess uh, cognitive outcomes in small children. I'm talking about babies, about toddlers, and also to correct for possible confounders like social influences, like other nutritional factors, uh, genetic influences from the parents and so on. Of course, there are many there and it's difficult to correct for all of them. In the original studies, I mean, it is also difficult to assess the nutrition from the mother apart from these uh, supplements uh, of omega-3 fatty acids that they took. So it is already difficult to perform the studies per se, plus the difficulties of the meta-analysis per se. So probably the results are reflecting a little bit the methodology of making nutritional research in these fields. On the other hand, we assessed also birth, um, birth weight as outcome, as a proxy of, um, of intrauterine nutrition because we know that this is also very relevant for cognitive outcomes, of course. And there we had an almost result, as, and this was also actually expected, as other studies found an effect there. And this was also interesting from our point of view to find this almost result. This, it was not uh, significant, but almost. And um, this shows that nutrition, intrauterine nutrition at all has an effect. If you would have more power, probably this would be uh, a significant result. Um, I guess this, but this is a, a, an educated guess, of course. So it's interesting that you bring out the issues of sample size, which obviously I saw as being very important. I'm also wondering about this nutrient gap. Women who participate in studies like this, or any research subject who participates in a dietary study, have a special interest in nutrition. Otherwise, they won't participate. They won't volunteer to be in a research study. So um, I was sort of wondering if there was enough of a nutri nutrient gap in, in the diets of these pregnant women that even without the supplements, they had a pretty good nutritional status related to EPA and DHA. And that possibly even the supplementation had less of an effect on these participants then let's say in a population that was poorer, had less access to food, and it's, it's important to you know, do studies in these populations that have a greater deficit in their diet. Um, do you think that could be a possibility for some of the lack of, of outcomes that you were looking for? This is very well possible. This is one of the possibilities that we were thinking about because just two studies were done in countries where maybe the nutrition was not ideal. This is one in Mexico and one in Bangladesh. All others were from industrialized countries where we could expect that nutrition was good for the women. And it is very well possible that uh, the omega-3 fatty acid levels was sufficient already. And it is not the more the better. It's probably, it, if you have a sufficient level then uh, brain development is normal and that's it. And you cannot go for, uh, on better than this. And so the, the, this uh, supplementary omega-3 that the women received did not have a further effect. This is very well possible. Yes, you are very, very right in this point. 
And I think also when Nicole can correct me, I think many uh, women were recruited when they went to regular appointments and it could be, as you said, a population that was well aware about nutrients and taking care of the unborn. So this shows the difficulty with doing these types of studies. I, it's incredible that people try. It's why they have small sample sizes. I think you mentioned many were less than 100 in, in the sample of an individual study. Um, I'm wondering, now that you've done this and you have this interest in omega-3 fatty acids, has it changed how you think about your own diets? And have you, do you shop differently now that you are interested in omega-3 uh, fatty acids and try to eat more fish or even go into some of the newer foods that are out there, maybe like algae-based products or, or even taking supplements? I'd like to hear how, you're, how you've reassessed your own lives after doing this review. Actually, not really. I think, um, well, unfortunately, it's exactly me. I don't know why I'm allergic to fish and seafood. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is, well, this is by chance, of course. So yes. I cannot profit from this. But apart from this, uh, even if this would not be the case, yes, I would profit um, um, from eating uh, fish, of course. But I think... Um, in, with a normal diet that we have in industrialized countries, we do not have to worry too much about uh, taking, in addition, supplements. I think this is necessary more for people who really have uh, a deficiency in uh, nutrition. And this has to be also established by laboratory. So, or pregnant women who really need more uh, nutrients than normal people. But for regulatory people in an in a, in a industrialized country, normally you don't need supplements in addition. This is one point uh, I, I must be clear. I, I think this hype around supplements is probably a little bit exaggerated. A second point that we have to consider, especially with fish or, or fish oils, is we also have a little bit to care about the planet. I mean, overfishing is an issue. And so if somebody is interested in, in this uh, omega-3 fatty acids, I think we have also to see for um, alternatives like maybe algae oil or something, because otherwise, I don't know if everybody wants to take fish then probably we go in the wrong direction here because of the planet. And Anne, how, how about you in, in terms of diet and what you've learned through this study? Uh, for me, it was, uh, I mean, I learned many more details about all that things, but it did not much influence it, but it can also be because I was also already reading a lot of papers before. And for me, it's more that I tried to, I will also later point out, try to balance the omega-6 and omega-3 fatty acids through my daily diet routine. And sometimes I take supplements, but it's not because I have the feeling that I really need it, but I think more it does not harm and it could help. <laughs> but it's more on that basis, not that I feel that I'm really, that I would be deficient. And it's also that I try to, when I eat fish, then I try to eat fat, uh, fatty fish. So now that you've done this study and you, you finished your master's thesis, what, what are your next plans, Anne, in, in terms of nutrition and research? Um, where's your career going at this point? Uh, for me, it's I'm right now doing a further education in laboratory medicine. 
because I'm very interested in that. Also for studies, it's very relevant, uh, relevant how things are measured and what can be measured and what not and where to measure. And I'm also in another project, but it's too early to speak about that. <laughs> and Dr. Bender, are, are you pursuing more research on omega-3 fatty acids? At the moment, not on omega-3 fatty acids in, in particular, but of course on uh, evolution of human nutrition, evolution of body composition. This is my main research field. So we have different projects running at the moment just around these topics and it, uh, the association between diet and health outcomes, uh, uh, the diet and body composition. So. We have different projects running and as we will go on with this field of for sure, yes. Well, I wanna thank both of you for spending some time with me today. I found this really interesting about evolutionary biology, brought in a little bit of anthropology. Um, and I think that you know, combining these different areas of studies is what nutrition is all about. And I, I really appreciate the time that you spent with me. Um, so Anne and Nicole, thank you very much. Thank you very much for receiving us. This was very nice. Thank you so much. Thank you very much too for having us here. Next month, I will be speaking with Bo Ekstrand from Chalmers University of Technology in Gothenburg, Sweden, who wrote with his colleagues, Natalie Shears, Martin Rasmussen, Jade Young, Alistair Ross, and Rickard Landberg, a review of brain foods the role of diet and brain performance and health. Their paper focused on brain development, the signaling networks and neurotransmitters in the brain, cognition and memory, the balance between protein formation and degradation, and the deteriorative effects due to chronic inflammatory processes. Their narrative review assessed how food, types of diets, and specific nutrients are associated with brain function with a special section, what we are learning from the epigenetic studies that are being conducted. As someone who is now focusing more on my own cognition and memory, the insight that their work presented on how diet throughout the lifespan is important for brain function was of special interest to me. I'm sure you will enjoy reading their article and listening to our conversation about what motivated them to address this topic. I look forward to having you join us for this discussion. The Nutrition Reviews podcast was produced and edited by Eric Healy at the Western Region Public Health Training Center studio at the University of Arizona, Mel and Enid Zuckerman College of Public Health. Original music was created by Eli Ruiz. Funding for the podcast was provided by the International Life Sciences Institute. To get more updated information on nutrition, go to the journal's website at academic.oup.com slash nutrition reviews and subscribe to the podcast to be notified when the next episode is available. I'm Douglas Tarrant. Thank you for spending some time with us. <music>